You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Jimmy Dykes is a color analyst for ESPN's and the SEC Network's college basketball broadcasts. The former assistant and head coach throughout the Southeast, Dykes played basketball at Arkansas in the early 1980s. Dykes' down-home style fits in perfectly with the audience of SEC basketball fans, but he's not out of place beyond his home region. His long career on the bench allows him to instruct viewers about what's likely to happen as well as what just happened, and he does that without talking down to the casual observer. Dykes is a highly sought-after motivational speaker for companies, organizations, sports teams, and faith-based groups across the country, challenging audiences to a higher level of accountability and tenacious faith. He is the author of a powerful book called The Film Doesn't Lie, which provokes readers to take an honest, in-depth look at their own life and to live with genuine passion and bold determination. Jimmy, welcome to Sports Connections. Hey, David, thanks for having me, man. I, I appreciate you spending some time with me. Thank you very much. We'll get to basketball, uh, to you know your your analyst role uh, here in a second. But let's talk with your start with your playing career. You played three seasons at Arkansas under legendary coach Eddie Sutton. What was it like to play for Coach Sutton? Well, even back then, we we all knew that we we're playing for a future Hall of Fame coach, which he ended up. He was, you know, ex- ex- extremely tough. Uh, he had three words on our practice jersey every year, dedication, discipline, and defense. That's how he viewed the game. That's how he wanted us to not only view the game, but view life. So I learned a lot about those three words and how they apply to winning games and, and being a successful young man at the time and hopefully a successful adult in the future. Um, he, was, he was as tough as anybody out there. And you go back and start looking at the great coaches out there from – from Bob Knight to Coach Sutton to Dean Smith to just keep on going down the list, mm-hmm. uh, their, their practices were not – they weren't any harder than Coach Sutton's. He was – man, he was a grinder, but he always had us ready to play. We we always knew we were never going to be outcoached. We might get beat, but we weren't going to be outcoached. And I think that's a great quality that, that any coach even today can still have. Yeah. <clears throat> How good were you? What, what kind of a player were you? I wasn't, I wasn't great. I was, I was on some great teams, but – you know, I was a backup point guard at best, and I really chose to go to Arkansas because it's my hometown, and I wanted to be a coach someday, and I figured that's the best way to learn the game was to be underneath him, and it worked out very well for me. I wouldn't be at ESPN right now if it wasn't for my time with him and my time with him as a coach, you know, as an assistant coach with him at Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma State. Those were those were great uh, formidable years that really shaped me and how I see the game, and I think if you listen to my broadcast today, you'll still hear me reference things that were important to Coach Sutton, and they're important to me as I watch the game as well. So um, it, was, it was a great time. We made the NCAA tournament every year as a player that I was there, made it to the Sweet 16, went to Hawaii, Alaska, the Great Alaska Shootout, went to Japan and played a, a summer tour there for the Arkansas team prior to my senior year. So, and as everyone else that ever played college ball, some of my lifelong friends are, you know, are my, my college teammates. Yeah. Now, you coached for a long time, and you talked about the influence that Coach Sutton had. Uh, and the coaching fraternity is a close-knit one. Who else influenced you, whether, whether or not you played or coached under them? Well, I was also under some other really good head coaches as an assistant. Uh, Tom Apke was the head coach at Appalachian State, and – that's a that's a, a name from the past, but man, he's a there's not a better person that to ever walk the sidelines 
just as a quality human being than, than what Tom Apke was. And I played for a guy at the time, had it rolling at our uh, coach for Mike Newell at Arkansas Little Rock, who, man, he was young and abrasive and aggressive. I learned a lot of offensive stuff from him. Um, and then even in my job right now with ESPN over the last 23 years, I've developed really strong relationships with a lot of coaches across the country. And I continue to learn from those guys every day. And, I, and that's what great coaches do. You know, Scott, Scott Drew is as good of a coach as we have in the college game. And he's, he's constantly asking questions from different people. And I try to do the, the same thing as an analyst. So, you know, guys like Rick Barnes are really close to me right now. Certainly coaches in the SEC because that's my main league that I cover. So uh, those, those, those are the guys that had influence on me and still do today. Now, um, at one point, you know, I know you, you, coach, you got back into coaching, but why did you get out of coaching and into broadcasting the first time? Well, I think that's just the path that God had for me. You know, he introduced me uh, to a guy when I was working as an NBA scout, and I wasn't even interested in getting into TV. And during the conversation, one thing led to another, and I was asked if I would ever be interested in doing games. And I wasn't really at the time, but I said, sure. I mean, if you have a game I need, you know, you have a game that you need to announce before, I can probably jump in there and do it. I was 24 years old at the time, I think. or No, yeah, I was, I was a little older than that. Yeah, so I was – I was at probably 28 or 29 at the time and fell in love with it. The first game I did, it was Kansas state and Colorado on the old, on the old big eight network. And, and uh, so at, at the time early, I was both an NBA scout and just getting started as an analyst for college basketball. But then my analyst days really grew and took off and uh, ESPN got a hold of me and really grew my, my career there. So, uh, that's kind of how it started. You know, they're always looking for former players, former coaches. Uh, so I got in there, got a chance and, you know, just really tried to outwork people. And I still try to outwork them today. I think that's, I think that's a big part of staying relevant in a job for this, is my 24th year now with ESPN. Now you took a, you took a three or four years away from that and became the head coach, head women's coach at Arkansas. What, did you just get the itch that you wanted to get back in or was it the opportunity? What, what brought you back to coaching? Well, is my alma mater, so it didn't require me to uproot my family and and change anything. We still stayed at the same church, same home, same school, all that stuff. It didn't disrupt our life. Uh, it was an opportunity for me to get back into coaching. I think I think once you're a coach, you're kind of always a coach. Uh, so, uh, you know, he had we had some success there. Went to the NCAA tournament our first year and won a game in the NCAA tournament for the first time in I think eleven years prior to me being hired and it's still the only NCAA victory in that program now going on, I don't know, 17, 18 years. So we, we had good success and it was, it was my alma mater was a drawing card for me there. Uh, and, and I, I learned more basketball, like as a head coach, you're thrust into it deeper than you are as an analyst. So it kind of broadened my mind, broadened my thoughts on the game. And I think that experience has made me a better analyst coming out of it. And so you've had successful careers in both in both fields. Was it an easy transition to get back into broadcasting over, after those years uh, at Arkansas? Yeah, it was it was really pretty much seamless for me. Um, you know, as an analyst, you're, you're you're part of your job is to coach both teams, not on the air, but just be thinking as a coach for both teams. And uh, I think that's that, that that probably grew during those three years I was a head coach like you see the game and how you manage people and all the scenarios that go with coaching so uh, 
but it, it was it was pretty seamless for me. And ESPN was, you know, so they've been so good to me and such a blessing in my life uh, to have me jump right back in there with them. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm God has me exactly where He wants me, and 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 I try to make sure I always keep that in mind and and let Him use me how He wants to use me in this area. Yeah, you know, I mentioned early on in in the introduction how your your broadcasting style doesn't talk down to the casual viewer or the casual listener, but that you you because of your coaching background, you can. Uh, you know, you can predict what's going to happen or you can analyze better what what has just happened. Talk about the, the thing you mentioned it just briefly here, that the fact you're coaching in your mind as you're doing being an analyst, you're coaching both teams. How does that help you deliver to the audience what's going to happen or what just happened? Well, I learned early in my career that the number one job as an analyst is to tell the people why, why this is happening or what's going to happen. Uh, they can see what happened. I don't need to tell them what happened. They need to know why did that happen and potentially what's going to happen going further. So those those two questions have always hopefully driven the tone of my broadcast and how I come across. Um, I think I, I, you know, I think our job as an analyst is to educate people about the game, but also entertain them. Like I don't want to listen to a broadcast as a fan. that sounds like every other broadcast out there. There's, there's too much, ball on the on on the air these days just you can, you can get bored so I, we do a try to do a good job in my games of having fun knowing when to be serious understand the importance of games but you know fans they use basketball and sports as an escape the last thing you want to do is talk down to people and and not not have an enjoyable experience for them and and, and if if we're not having fun on the air, how can we expect people listening to have fun listening to us? So all those things, you know, come into play and it's just the years of doing it and the experience of doing it and having a feel for each game. It feels different, different personalities go into each game. Uh, but, you know, hopefully overall it's, we're never going to please everybody. That's not my job as an analyst. My job is not to please fan bases. Probably I do my best work when after the game, if I do check, social media on the flight home just to pass the time there's a small percentage of both fan bases that are irritated with, with how we called the game they thought we were favorite favorite that that's that's mean we did our job pretty fairly actually now what's your favorite part of it is, is it predicting what's going to happen is it is it analyzing what just happened and from a very serious standpoint is it just being a part of the game and as a sports writer i'm sitting courtside for some really exciting games. What's your favorite part of being a broadcaster? I think just being a part of the game, the game day experience. Like I love the game day practices and talking to the coaches, talking to the players. I mean, that's, that's still a big part of it for me. Uh, I'm, I enjoy people. I enjoy being around them and, and watching, learning, watching practices, seeing what the game is going to show us, you know, seven or eight hours later, you can see it in practices the day of what the emphasis what the emphasis is. So I enjoy all as aspects of it. The, the, the travel is the biggest grind. You know, I'm very close to my wife and daughter who's 16 years old. So right now I have a game every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So I'm gone a lot yeah. uh, from, from November to the middle of March, but then I have a lot of off time to, you know, stay engaged with them. And I do a good job of that during the, during the year. I, I being an ESPN college basketball analyst is, is, what I do for a living, but it's not, it's not who I am. 
Yeah. I'm a husband and a dad first. I got to make sure I fight to keep that balance in the right perspective at all times. And, and I read a little bit about your book. Uh, I've worked with Triumph Books as well. So that's how I found out that you had this book. Um, just what was it that led you to write your book? Well, I didn't know I was writing a book, David, to start with. I, I didn't know if I was just maybe writing something for my own, you know, personal growth or if it was going to become something like a, a men's Bible study. And maybe at my local church I'm very active at, but it took on a book form and I got, got an agent who got me a book deal. And um, I just thought there's a lot of sports books out there. I don't need to write another book on college basketball. That's they, There's plenty of those out there. Yeah. Uh, but there's not enough. There's not enough books that really challenge people and speak to their hearts about getting quiet before God and and really trying to grow an authentic relationship in that part of our life. So I take a lot of sports stories and frame it around the fact that in sports, coaches and players, that we rely so much on the study of game film and let the game film really show us our strengths, our weaknesses, where we need change to be made, to be successful. And I challenge the viewer to kind of stop as they're reading this book and view their own life and check their own heart uh, as a game film and let God really speak to you. So uh, I've been very fortunate. It's done well. I've got a lot of response from people across the country that are using it for small group studies or just individual studies. But it's uh, it's an easy read because I, I I wrote it like I wrote every word. I didn't have a ghostwriter. I didn't have any help. I wrote every word. Uh, so it, it's an easy read in terms of how it flows, but it's can also be very difficult, very challenging, uh, because it, it's, it speaks right to the heart of things. I think we all deal with, especially men, uh, right now in our, in, in life. Yeah. It's interesting. I love the title of it. The film doesn't lie. And it's like, wait a minute, what, what does that have to do with, you know, personal motivation and stuff? But I like the way you described it. Take, take a step back, look at your game film of your life and, and evaluate that. How do you incorporate that message into your own life? Cause traveling, being gone away and, and, you know, three months, four months of really hectic activity. And then eight months of, I don't want to say eight months of downtime, but less, less hectic time. How do you incorporate that in those various seasons of your, of your year? Well, I think it's important to have a daily, you know, I have a good daily quiet time, but just let God speak to our hearts, you know, and, you know, I love the verse, you know, search my heart of God and show me if there's anything that's, that's not right. Basically is what it's saying. And I think that's very important. I think it's easy to get away from that. It's easy to not, to not want to confront that. It's easy to not want to grow. Uh, it's easy to not want to face the hard, tough things in life, but that's, that's when you get stuck and that's when you start going down the wrong path. So, I try to stay pretty consistent about letting God speak to my heart. If there's anything growing in my heart that's not of him. And I, I learned the importance of getting it, getting it out quickly, not letting it take. So uh, that's how I go about it. And there's different ways for all of us to grow with our walk with the Lord and, and, and our trust in Jesus as our savior. Uh, but I know the one common thread is daily time, daily, daily time, uh, with him in, in our written word and in our prayer life. Uh, it's just like any other relationship. If you go three or four days in a row without talking to your wife or speaking with your kids, that relationship's going to suffer. And there's a whole chapter in that book devoted to um, just how, how we're spending our time in that, in that area of our life. 
Yeah, one of the one of the books that that I've worked on uh, with. Let me say that again. One of the books that I've done with Triumph Books was a book with Tim Grunhard, uh, former Chiefs uh, offensive lineman, and he played under Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. And he said, Coach Holtz uh, told him, told the team, you know, if you don't practice one day, you'll know it. If you don't practice two days, your teammates will know it. If you don't practice three days, everyone will notice. The, the same thing is true with, with your relationship with the Lord, that, that if you don't do it one day, you'll know it. And if you don't know it, do it two days, other people close to you will know it. And eventually everybody will know it. Do you agree with that? I think it's a great assessment. I've never heard it put that way, but I like that a lot. And this, there's so much value in being consistent in our life, not getting bored with the basics. I, I write a chapter about that, how, how easy it is to kind of get away from that stuff. That's, you know, I think our life and our success in life, our path in life is determined not by the big, huge moments, but it's who we are day after day, after day, after day, after day, and staying consistent with that. So uh, I, I think coach Holtz, you know, very prophetic and how he put that. Uh, I, I knew a new coach because he was a football coach at Arkansas for the couple of years. I basketball at Arkansas and his son, Skip was a high school uh, friend of mine. So uh, coach Holtz has a lot of wisdom and uh, that's good advice for all of us. Yeah. And, and if you ever need a good coach Holtz imitation, call Tim Grunhard because he does a great one. He, he okay. was, He's pretty good at it. Now, we also mentioned that uh, you do motivational speaking. Is your message in your motivational speaking uh, similar to the focus of the book? It is. You know, it's based upon the audience and what their need is and what they're bringing me in for. But, you know, I love getting in front of people and challenging them and, and challenging the growth of a company or the, the growth of individuals within the company and giving them things to think about and reflect on and you know, I don't, I don't think any change takes place unless it, it comes from the heart. I don't care if we're talking about trying to change a company or a marriage or uh, any situation in life that the, the heart is going to drive all those areas. So anytime I'm out in the off season, I do a lot of speaking in the, in the off season. Um, I, I try to go right at the hearts of my listeners uh, because if not, you know, you, you can, you can have a really good speech. People think about it for maybe four or five hours afterwards, but it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to impact them. It's not going to make a change, but if you can, if you speak words and it starts growing in someone's heart, that's when real change can occur. And uh, I, I think I do a good job of that in my motivational speeches. And, and Jimmy, I, th I think that even relates to sports. You can, you can design, uh, you can design a really good play or not. I remember when uh, in, back in 1988, Lon Kruger, who was a friend of mine, was coaching at Kansas State, and they got blown out by Purdue right before Christmas. And he complete, he and his assistants completely changed the offense during the Christmas break. And they came out in, during the Big Eight season and, and turned things around, actually ended up beating number one Purdue uh, in, this, in the Sweet 16, that same Purdue team. And, and beat them handily in that game. But if his players didn't take it to heart, if they, his players didn't buy in completely, it wouldn't have, it didn't matter how good that offense was. It, the players had to buy in, just like you're talking about your listeners, your, you know, the people, your readers of your book, the people at, at uh, your public speaking opportunities have to take it to heart. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the overlying theme in my book that I wrote the film doesn't lie is 
it's going to go straight to your heart. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a book that really calls the reader to get quiet and carve out space in their heart, in their life to really reflect and make change. And the people that have responded about my book, they, that's what they've said is it, it was, it brought change about in their heart in a certain area of their life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, I think that's the key. And the challenge in that is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be real and authentic with yourself? Uh, because if you're not, then you're wasting your time and you're fooling yourself thinking, I, I want to change this area of my life when you really, really don't. It just becomes words at that point and there's no action to back it up. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said there that no matter what aspect it is, you're trying to grow a relationship with your, with your kids, with your wife, uh, with, with your, your coworkers, you're trying to change a circumstance in your life. Uh, the first thing you have to do is evaluate yourself and, and how am I fitting into this picture? Is there anything I can change or need to change that would enhance the growth in this area? And I think, I think when people are authentic and they do that, then real change starts to occur. It's cliche, but sports reflects life so well. It, obviously, your, your public persona is that of a college basketball analyst. So using that perspective, what can we learn from sports to make us better people? It's not going to always go your way. You know, it just, it's just not in sports. Every time you step on, on the floor, you run the risk of losing. You run the risk of being embarrassed. You run the risk of things not going your way. You run the risk of the unexpected happening. Same way with life. Every day you wake up and you, and you start off like we think it's going to go one way and sometimes it doesn't. So it teaches you how to respond in those moments, how to not be caught off guard, how to make sure you're already prepared when it doesn't go your way. Uh, there's so many lessons that cross over. Um, and you know, I think that's the value of, of it for kids right now in sports, you know, to, I'm, I'm not in favor at all of kids zeroing in on one sport when they're nine or 10 years old and all the travel ball and all the expense and all the, all the pressure and all the time that's consumed with youth sports right now, the best, the best athletes I see out there, they did it all growing up and they didn't, they didn't get into their own specific college sport, you know, until maybe their eighth or ninth, ninth grade year. And I see a lot of parents making mistakes of playing, you know, 75, 80 baseball games during the course of the year and traveling all over the country, missing church on Sundays for tournaments. Uh, I just think that's a real risk. A risk that I don't want to. A risk that I don't want to roll with our own child here in, in, in Arkansas. I know that. Talk, we'll talk about your family in just a second. But what other what other things do you like to do away from basketball, away from sports? Yeah, it's my family. Like I'm, I I love just being being at home with my family and engaging with them, watching our daughter run track, and she's a high school cheerleader. My wife is a head cheerleading coach at the high school where she's at, so we're really involved with our you know, high school kids there. And we have a Bible study cell group every Wednesday night for about 30 sophomore high school girls at our house. Uh, got a couple of dogs. I, I exercise. I love to, I love to run and stay in shape. Um, so just n- normal stuff, like normal stuff. I'm just a, I'm just an everyday guy, like everybody else that some people think you got a really cool job and I do, it is a cool job, but I'm just like everybody else, man. I, I, I kind of just enjoy the simple things in life, to be honest with you. 
And and when you're playing pickup basketball in the church league, can you still uh, lead a team as a point guard? No, there's none of that. I, I, I learned, I think I, I think I quit playing about when I was about 30 years old. Like I saw too many guys getting hurt. I was very fortunate to go through college without any major injuries. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do something myself, you know, trying to be something that they were not meant to be at that age anymore. So there's, there's no church league basketball for me at all. None. All right. I like to wrap up my interviews and I appreciate your time. I know you're on the road today as we're recording this, but I like to wrap up my interviews with everybody and I get all range of answers to this, but here's the question. What is your legacy? Well, hopefully it's that I was a phenomenal husband and put my wife first and provided for our family and led our family spiritually every day and, and put God in our home uh, first, put him in his rightful spot, uh, that I was a phenomenal dad. Not that I didn't make mistakes, but a dad that always loved, always cared, was always there. You know, put put my my desires of playing golf or fishing or whatever it was on the back burner while our daughter was growing up. Never missed any of her things. Uh, that 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 hopefully that will be my legacy someday. I'm I'm still building that. I'm still in the middle of building my legacy. But I want to be known far more than he worked for ESPN for X number of years and he did this game and that game and this tournament and that tournament. I mean, those are all fun things. It's been a great blessing in my life. It's provided a lot of great opportunities for me, but I don't want, I don't want that on my gravestone someday. I want, I want to be said something of more of long of a, a, a faithful husband and uh, a beloved dad that was always there. Like that, that should be the goal for all of us as men. That should be our legacy, not president of this company or had this many followers on social media or what shot this around in golf. Like, no, that's not it. We, we, it was a big swing and a miss, and we think that's, that should be our legacy, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah, my, my all-time favorite answer to that was uh, Chiefs Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer Bobby Bell. And I asked him the question. He said, I want to live my life so the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral. <laughs> oh, that's a great way to put it. I love that one. Good answer yeah. by him. All right. Well, Jimmy, it has been a pleasure. Uh, I'll look for you if, you, if your broadcast career ever comes brings you to Kansas City um we'll, we'll definitely hook up I'll take you out for some good Kansas City barbecue that sounds good thank you so much for having me David all right you take care yes sir thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale make sure to subscribe follow and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform you can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.